Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, June 11th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. Push for change, America transforming after the death of George Floyd, removing statues linked to slavery and banning the Confederate flag at NASCAR races. The politics of unrest, the Trump administration promising an executive order soon on policing, while on Capitol Hill, lawmakers creating and debating police reform bills. And coronavirus emergency, more than 2 million cases in the U.S., infections on the rise, and grave new projections about the number of deaths in America. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with the unrest in America. After the death of George Floyd, one of the officers charged in Floyd's death, now out of jail as across the country, protesters demand both justice and police reform. And we're starting to see some of that change. Fired officer Thomas Lane, charged with aiding and abetting in the murder of George Floyd, released from jail after posting bail Wednesday, which marked the 16th day of demonstrations. With massive gatherings in different cities, mostly peaceful, in Oakland, California, thousands walked towards the home of that city's mayor. And in Atlanta, Georgia, a large crowd marched on the Freedom Parkway downtown. But in cities like Portland, demonstrators are trying to claim part of the city as their own, police-free, what they're calling an autonomous zone, police firing rubber bullets to win back control. In Seattle, demonstrators claim they are occupying a portion of the Capitol Hill neighborhood near downtown after taking control of a police precinct and the surrounding area two days ago. They've had the run of the place since then. Free speech, free movies, free gas masks and no police in sight. In some cities, protesters aren't waiting for local leaders to decide taking action, pulling down monuments to Confederate history themselves, setting statues on fire and dragging others out of the parks and public squares. In Miami, seven people were arrested after painting the statues of Christopher Columbus and Ponce de Leon. In Richmond, Virginia, the statue of Jefferson Davis, the former president of the Confederacy, was removed from his spot on Monument Avenue last night. Meanwhile, the sports world chiming in. Bubba Wallace, NASCAR's only full-time black driver, making a call to action. No one should feel uncomfortable when, they're, when they come to a NASCAR race. So it starts with Confederate flags. Get them out of here. They have no place Forum. The organization quickly responding, banning the Confederate flag from all of their events, saying it runs contrary to our commitment to providing a welcoming and inclusive environment. The display of the Confederate flag will be prohibited from all NASCAR events and properties. Also, the U.S. Soccer Federation has replaced the league's three-year-old ban on kneeling during the national anthem. LeBron James and several other athletes have announced they are forming a group aimed to energize black voters and tackle voter suppression in many cities ahead of the 2020 election. Meantime, the Trump administration is still trying to settle on a message in reaction to the underlying issues of police brutality and racism. But as Andrea Linares reports, President Trump also issuing a warning to Washington's governor as demonstrations there intensify. As demonstrators in Washington state occupy a portion of the Capitol Hill neighborhood near downtown, 
President Trump is now calling on state and city officials to take back control. Overnight, posting a series of tweets. Radical left Governor Jay Inslee and the mayor of Seattle are being taunted and played at a level that our great country has never seen before. Take back your city now. If you don't do it, I will. This is not a game. Later writing, domestic terrorists have taken over Seattle run by radical left Democrats, of course, law and order. Governor Inslee then firing back. A man who is totally incapable of governing should stay out of Washington state's business. Stop tweeting. As protesters march on, discussions are underway inside the White House on a possible executive order addressing police reform. On Wednesday, the president held a roundtable to discuss race relations. The president has spent the last 10 days quietly and diligently working on proposals to address the issues that the protesters have raised across the country. But lawmakers on Capitol Hill are already debating sweeping police reform legislation. Congressional Democrats introduced the Justice in Policing Act, looking to ban tactics like chokeholds and no-knock warrants in drug cases. And it baffles me that the President of the United States and uh, his staff can take a deep dive into this legislation and realize that America just cannot continue on the pathway that it is. House Republicans say they are willing to work with Democrats. There is not a legitimate defense of chokeholds or lynching or bad cops that get shuttled around, and you will be able to count on Republican cooperation. Senate Republicans are also crafting their own police reform bill, expected to be released by Friday. It's led by the only black GOP senator, Tim Scott. If history is a, is a teacher, uh, the president has been receptive uh, for the last three years on the priorities that I've brought to him. President Trump announced that his campaign rallies will resume on June 19th in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Critics point out that Juneteenth is the commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea Linares, for that report. The top general in the United States military says it was a mistake. Joint Chief of Staff General Mark Miley now acknowledging his controversial appearance with President Trump and other administration officials after police forcibly cleared peaceful protesters from Lafayette Square was wrong. In a pre-recorded video, Miley apologized to National Defense University graduates for the controversy. As many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square last week, that sparked a national debate about the role of the military in civil society. I should not have been there. My presence in that moment and in that environment created a perception of the military involved in domestic politics. As a commissioned uniformed officer, it was a mistake. Miley Nile joins Defense Secretary Mark Esper in saying their actions were inappropriate. The GOP-led Senate Armed Services Committee has adopted an amendment for the Pentagon to remove the names of Confederate generals from the military assets within three years. This according to a source familiar with the proceedings. This comes as President Trump vowed to fight any such effort. The amendment would create an independent commission to review and develop a detailed plan for removing the names. 
The Latino community is no stranger to complaints of excessive police force from the controversial stop and frisk program in New York City, which disproportionately targeted black and Latino youth, to the recent police killing of Mike Ramos in Texas. For more on excessive force, police force and the Latino community, I'm joined by Juan Cartagena, the president of the National Latino Legal Civil Rights Organization, Latino Justice. Juan, what's your reaction to the calls for police reform? The reaction from uh, those of us who work with and are part of the Latino community of this country is that this is the exact time for us to step up in solidarity with African Americans in this country to call for an end for the abuse of police force, especially that force that results in death. We are definitely here to support that effort and that call. And we're also here because we know full, full well what it means to lose the lives of our loved ones, our family members, when police use force unnecessarily and without justification. It has happened in every state, in every one of our communities. Juan, recently in Texas, an unarmed man, Mike Ramos, died during a police encounter at his apartment parking lot. In this video that we're about to see, we see Ramos being shot with a non-lethal round. Ramos gets in his car and then a police officer fires a second deadly shot. His case has garnered local attention, but not national. Is there a reason why cases against Latinos don't raise to the same level? There's several reasons, uh, Levine. One is that, you know, except for outlets like Univision, uh, we don't, uh, the country's mainstream press does not cover these issues nearly as much as it should. Um, much of the conversation about criminal justice reform is in a black-white uh, binary. Uh, just like by, and that's wrong, and just like it's wrong to only talk about immigration abuse and immigration reform, in the Latino white binary, as if black folk are not immigrants, and as if Latinos are not subject to outrageous uses of police abuse and harm. So in many ways, that's the first reason. The second reason is because a lot of the mobilization, and there has been protests and mobilization and calls for reform all through the Latino communities that I've worked with in the country, a lot of that mobilization, unfortunately, is regional and or local. The names of people like uh, Senor Ramos, that you just mentioned, uh, Francisco Selna in Bakersfield, Anthony Baez in the Bronx, so many names that I can repeat, Jessica Hernandez, Antonio Zambrano Montes, these names should be at the top of our list for calling for reform of how the police use force in this country, but unfortunately, they are not. Juan, New York City's stop-and-frisk pro program, what has been the impact of it? It's been uh, an amazing product of community resistance and community calls for change. Uh, Latino Justice and myself personally, we were part of a team of attorneys in the, one of the three federal cases that challenged Stop and Frisk. We have to remember that Stop and Frisk involved the stopping, unconstitutional stopping and detaining of 4.2 million times in the course of less than five to six years, an outrageous abuse of power. As a result of the community push to stop it, to, to curtail it, we went to court. Uh, there was major legislation being passed. The mayor of the block, Mr. Mr. Mayor de Blasio, actually ran on the ticket that said he would stop any appeal. And to his credit, he stopped the appeal within the first month of his taking office. It is a story of community uprising against police abuse. It has been curtailed. It has not been completely eliminated. But the numbers nowhere near match what it was during the Bloomberg and Giuliani administrations. 
And Juan, taking the conversation now to Washington, D.C., where action happens, we're seeing African-American lawmakers take the lead in crafting police reform bills. Are Latino lawmakers leaving the heavy lifting to their African-American counterparts? Latino lawmakers have been on the right side of these issues for a long, long time in every jurisdiction, including right now in Washington, D.C. Um, I think it comes from everything we just talked about, Lemayne, and that is these issues emanate in our community as well. That when the fact of the matter is that when police use force to uh, unnecessarily, it's usually also against our gente. And as a result, our lawmakers in Washington are taking advantage of this particular moment. The legacy of Breonna Taylor, the legacy of George Floyd, the legacy of all the Latinos and Latinas I just mentioned before by name is at this moment about to be realized. And that is, we're about to have a real debate about drastic changes in how we police in this country. Well, thank you very much, Juan Cartagena, president of Latino Justice. Very interesting conversation. Thank you. There are now more than 2 million confirmed cases of the coronavirus in the United States, according to John Hopkins University, that is. And health officials fear some areas will see a spike in new infections over the next few months. Rafael Rodriguez explains. The coronavirus will pose a significant threat this summer. Right now, we have between 800 and 1,000 people dying every single day in America. Um, and all of the models, all of the data suggests that things are going to get worse, we're going to have increases. The Harvard Global Health Institute predicting 100,000 more coronavirus-linked deaths in the U.S. by September. The virus hasn't gone away. It's not like we're looking for, for the second wave. The first wave isn't gone. Twelve states have seen coronavirus hospitalizations rise since Memorial Day, according to data from the COVID tracking project. And there's been at least a 10% increase in week-to-week -week cases reported in 19 states, according to Johns Hopkins University. Hospital leaders, they should be preparing for the next surge now so that we don't run into the problem of not having enough masks and personal protective equipment. I mean, it was a national disgrace that we ran out last time. Johnson & Johnson is expected to start double-blind, randomized human vaccine trials next month. But in the meantime, health officials remind Americans to err on the side of caution. I'm not trying to scare people to stay at home. What I want is for people to wear masks. I want them to do social distancing. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. Meanwhile, another prediction from researchers, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation predicts a second wave will start in mid-September. Researchers also forecast nearly 170,000 deaths by October. The model is based on data through June 6. A new weekly jobs report is out for the 10th straight week. More than un unemployment claims are declining from a peak in mid-March. Still, the pace of lay layoffs remain historically high. Claudio Seda has the details. Good afternoon. That's right. The number of unemployment claims declined again last week. This as the economy appears to be slowly recovering.
The new Labor Department numbers shows that about 1.5 million laid-off workers applied for unemployment benefits last week. This is evidence that many people are still losing their job, even as some businesses and restaurants are starting to reopen. But still, the pace of layoffs remain historically high. California, for instance, had the highest numbers of new claims last week, followed by Georgia. As for the bigger picture, the unemployment rate fell to 13.3% in May to a peak of 14.7 in April, but it's hard to capture the full scope of the damage to the job market because there are reports that unemployment claims were not categorized correctly and that the unemployment rate is actually higher. This comes as last week the government reported that 2.5 million jobs were added in May, despite predictions that more than 7 million jobs were to be lost. Now on Capitol Hill, there is a fight over the additional unemployment benefit of $600 a week that is helping so many people. It's set to end in July and the Trump administration doesn't want to extend it. Democrats want to extend this benefit for six more months, but Republicans oppose it. They said that it prevents people from going back to work. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Welcome back to You News. Police were deployed to the streets of Santiago on Wednesday to enforce lockdown measures in the Chilean capital. It happened after a surge in coronavirus cases in the country prompted an extension of quarantine. Chile has one of the highest numbers of cases in Latin America, which has become the epicenter of the pandemic. On Wednesday, officials reported another 192 deaths and confirmed total cases nationwide at more than 148,000. A sigh of relief for 300 Venezuelan migrants in limbo in Colombia. They're finally able to cross the border home. Coronavirus restrictions reportedly stranded more than 1,000 Venezuelan migrants in Colombia waiting for their turn to cross the border. Venezuelan authorities allow only 300 people daily to enter the country, creating a backlog that has seen some of these migrants spend more than one week sleeping on the ground. Go out, we can stay at home. That's the message from Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, as the government considers a gradual reopening of the economy despite rising coronavirus cases. Mexico surpassed 15,000 deaths linked to coronavirus with almost 130,000 confirmed cases. And as so many in Mexico deal with the repercussions from the coronavirus crisis, a major Hollywood director is casting a spotlight on some of the country's hardest-hit individual domestic workers. Here's Ana Portela. 
for those who care for you. This is a new campaign that Mexican film director Alfonso Cuarón has launched to defend the rights of domestic workers. The campaign's objective, according to Cuarón, is to remember to take care of those who take care of us by continuing to pay their wages during the pandemic. Now it's time for them to assume their responsibility because they also owe much of their business to their domestic workers. Since the release of the Oscar-winning movie Roma in 2018, Cuarón has become an advocate for these workers' rights, now struggling to make ends meet. Doña Patricia is one of those workers. She sells tlacoyos door-to-door. This is now her job, her job during the pandemic. She used to be a domestic worker, but the coronavirus changed it all. They called me to say I couldn't keep working for them because there was an epidemic and they didn't want to put our health at risk. She lost three of her four employers. The remaining one gave her a paid leave, but still she makes half of her earnings, $70 per week. Enough, she says. Although she hasn't eaten meat in three weeks, she can't afford it. For families, it's easy to fire domestic workers because this profession is barely regulated in Mexico. Usually they don't receive any severance. Thousands of domestic workers have lost their jobs due to the pandemic. Some say that employers have laid them off because they live in areas considered coronavirus hotspots. She has to commute and we don't know what kind of precaution she has at home with her family. The pandemic has also shed light on another plight of domestic workers, the lack of social security benefits. Maybe we can demand benefits, but what's going to happen? They might fire me. We'd rather stay quiet. There are over 2.3 million domestic workers in Mexico, but roughly 1% have social security. Employees are reluctant to pay the at least extra $42 a month that would give their mates benefits. It's part of our culture that we hire people to help us. With Cuarón's Roma, the movement for domestic workers' rights gained momentum. The challenge is to get Mexicans see their mates as professionals, not as part of their families. We asked Marcelina whether Mr. Cuarón's domestic workers are enrolled in any social security scheme. Of course, you couldn't preach if you don't practice it consistently. In Mexico City, Ana Portella, U News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.